0: Okay, then. Leadership is a topic we constantly cover and refer to on this podcast. Effective leadership is a key ingredient of becoming a stickier business. Of course it is. If our goal is to retain more of our top talent, keeping them fully engaged and continually pushing the business on to do even greater things, that is not going to be realized by unfit leadership. Oh, wow, Andy. What a cracking start to a podcast with an obvious statement like that, I hear you say. But just bear with me, guys. Bear with me. What makes for effective leadership today? And my, my use of the word today is entirely intentional. Is today's idea of what makes a great leader that different from the past? If it is that different, why is that? What's changed to make it that way? And why are the old ways no longer effective or appropriate? If I look back at some of the very best people I followed in my 30 odd year career, I think they were already doing a lot of the things that seem to have captured the leadership zeitgeist. Now, were they just ahead of their time? Was I just lucky to work for them? Or were these things always important, just not common practice? It's so easy to say that we're living in unprecedented times right now, but it really does feel like we are so today i wanted to speak with someone who who has a very clear idea about why that is and the effect that that has on our ability to lead people successfully today and importantly into the future and what what may need to change and adapt as a result of that so i'm delighted to be joined by rajiv kapoor he's the president and ceo of 1105 media a business focused on helping other businesses grow. But he's also the author of the book, Chase Greatness, Enlightened Leadership for the Next Generation of Disruption, which combines two things I love, leadership and disruption. So I'm looking forward to hearing Rajiv's take on all those questions in this introduction and more. Welcome to the show, Rajiv.
1: Thank you so much, my friend. Great to be here.
0: It's super to have you on here, my friend. I have... I have listened and watched quite a few of your chats on this topic so I'm I'm looking forward to having it in full bore one on one with you today so I'm I'm really excited by that before we get into this fabulous topic of leadership and disruption and changing times and all that malarkey do me a favor my friend willie for the listeners just give us a bit of a better background history of of you who you are and and what you're focused on today
1: all right. Well, first of all, again, like I said, it's a true honor here to be with you, and, and and I really hope that at the end of the 30 or 40 minutes that we're here together that the listener really gets some really good take-home value. So that's really kind of the goal here today. So, you know, look, my, you know my background is, I think, a fairly typical background. You know, I mean, uh, brought up in Southern California, and that's where I'm calling in from right now, down in the Orange County area, and you know, I was in the '80s, a very much a very, you know, with the start of the PC revolution, a little bit, a little bit of a techno geek and nerd, and and uh, just started to kind of dabble my way around that. I ended up working for an old computer company called Gateway back in ah, the early '90s.
0: Remember, I remember Gateway? That. Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. And then from there, went to Dell for about twelve years. and did all kinds of great things at Dell, and it was had, met some amazing people and great mentors and led some amazing teams and as well, you know, and that included running, you know, parts of parts of Dell China and in South Asia and helping to launch Dell India and all those kinds of things. So that was kind of cool. And then from there, um, after being an expat for four plus years, uh, we, we decided uh, to uh, move back to Southern California. And I was president of an IOT, you know, Internet of Things e-commerce company for a while. And then, and then CEO of a, Audio technology company that competed with Dolby. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> and now today, I'm a CEO of 1105 Media, and or as 1105 Media, as some would say. And don't nobody ask me what 1105 stands for because it's a long, long, long story. <laughs> and so, but anyways, it, it doesn't matter. But you know, 1105 is cool. It's a great company, amazing people. You know, great, great support. And you know, we do a great job of helping you know connect buyers with sellers in the technology space. But Outside of that, during COVID, as as you mentioned, I wrote the book and and uh, I've been dabbling and writing some movie screenplays for fun. And oh, all cool! That. And so, yeah, and so starting to get more and more into the AI space, uh, you know, as well with all this Chat GPT stuff out there. And so it's it's been it's it's been a fun ride, and I've been you know, very fortunate, and lucky, and I'm, I'm glad I'm here today.
0: Oh, it's great to have you here today. Uh, massive tech background, obviously, and and look, I can't. It would be remiss of me. Rajiv, not to bring up something that we had a quick chat about previously, in that you are my first real life American Wrexham fan, right? I mean, (laughs) the the Wrexham (laughs) thing over here is, it's, it's been an amazing thing to watch, right? But you're the first person I spoke to overseas who's, who's a genuine Wrexham fan. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, you know, the show came, you know, was, was, is on TV here on, on Hulu, which I guess over there, is on Disney Plus, but it's on Hulu here. And, you know, I'm a big fan of Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhinney. It's like, you know, and you see them, what they're doing, you're like, all right, let me watch it. And so you hear some things about it. And I started watching it and it was just amazing falling in love. <laughs> and they were, the way they talked about, the, you know, the town and the people and how it used to be such a bustling area over there in Wales and. You know the race course. I think being the oldest football stadium, right, in the world yeah, and everything. So absolutely. So anyway, so you just you know they did such a great job of talking about the people and the team and the history. It's like you know how can you not and you follow it along and you know I mean, I'm not going to give any spoilers here, but you know but uh, <laughs> you know so but anyways it was it was amazing and the way they introduced the Welch uh, culture was a lot of fun and so how can you not fall in love with this like underdog story and you know and, and then it was funny and it was and it was it was funny and emotional and so. You know, it's funny thing here is that uh, a few weeks, so we're also Manchester United fans. And so it's funny, a few weeks, so maybe about a month ago, they were showing both Manchester, I think it was Manchester United versus Everton or somebody, and Wrexham was playing. And Wrexham had higher ratings in the US <laughs> than <that. laughs> You know, so I thought that was pretty funny. And so it just, it's just, it's great to see how with their big, they're their following. And I'm, I'm really excited because in July, Wrexham and Manchester United are going to play a friendly in San Diego, California, and so we're going to go down and check it out. And so I'll finally be able to, you know, get some Wrexham gear and, uh, you know, and, and, you know. So that's good, but you know, but over here, you know, people are also in love with Ted Lasso. Wow, I love shirt. that show. Love, yeah, that show. it's great, right? It's fantastic, you know. So people, so you know, you get, you know, I think more and more people get exposed, and it's it's interesting because you had the World Cup, Ted Lasso, and Wrexham kind of all happening. So hopefully that's uh, juicing up the um, the, the interest of, of the sport here in the U.S.
0: Yeah, let's hope so. And, you know, lasso for sure, but maybe there's some links with what Rob and Ryan are doing in terms of their leadership style and the way that they're sort of behaving in some of the stuff that we'll end up covering today. I, I, I don't know, but I just think it's a fascinating story. And to finally speak to someone overseas who's uh, riding the Wrexham train I thought was uh, was fabulous and great and really interesting. Um enough waffle for me let's get cracked on with the with the topic that we're going to talk about today let's let's begin simply i mentioned in this intro that it feels like we're in some pretty crazy unprecedented times right now do you think that's true and if you do think that's true rajiv why is it what is this landscape that we're really facing into now
1: oh boy let me tell you my friend i i I think we are literally one step into one of the biggest massive global disruptions the world has ever faced. And it's it's really simple. I think if you look at it, you have a perfect storm brewing. Mm-hmm. You have kind of three major events happening over the course of the next 24 months. You have number one is you have Gen Z and millennials will become the majority of the workforce around the world. Mm. And for the first time in the U S women will have a slight majority in the workforce. Okay. So you have that, uh, and that requires a different type of leadership. Mm -hmm. Uh, you have, uh, and within that you have people who really believe in diversity, you know, equality, inclusion, and all those kinds of things. And which is, which is terrific. I think Uh, some don't, but I think it's, it's good. Uh, and so you have that, you have now, and I, I surmised this a little bit in my book, and I wrote this book before ChatGPT came out, obviously, but I did talk about massive disruption that was going to come from AI yeah. and IoT and robotics and all these things. And if you think about it, you know, your laptop or your iPhone, there's more power in an iPhone today than there was the entire moon mission in the 60s, yeah, right? Yeah, it's crazy. And so in the course of the next four or five years, you're going to see computing power, become so it it could almost it could almost rival that that of the human brain in terms of its processing power right and when that happens you're going to see these ai models get smarter robotics going to become you can see now go and watch boston dynamics robots right you're going to get better and stronger and faster and smarter you know you're going to see all kinds of new innovations that are coming and all these, and whether it's through ChatGPT or BART or whichever one's going to win out, I think there's going to be room for more than one. There might be only room for two. Mm. And i right now bet on Microsoft and Google. And Microsoft, for those who don't know, own 49% of OpenAI, the right. creators of ChatGPT. Yeah. And they, their aim is to put it in Excel, Word, PowerPoint, Teams, you know, Just like everywhere. an assistant,
0: right? Just, yeah, absolutely. Right,
1: yeah. So, well, you know, and it's interesting that they call it Copilot. And mm. so… It's like literally having an extra brain beside you while you're working or doing whatever you're trying to do. So, so you have this massive disruption that's on its way, and that's going to affect millions of jobs. And a lot of a lot of jobs are going to go away, but new jobs are going to be created. And there'll will always probably be a need for managers and those types of people. But managers are going to be replaced by are going to be replaced by people who know AI. And if you don't, and if you're not willing to learn this stuff. If you're not willing to learn about Chat GPT and BARD and all these different tools that are available that are starting to come out now, you need to. Yeah. And if I can give anybody a takeaway, you have to go learn learn this stuff. And you know, and then the third thing is you have some some pretty interesting geopolitical issues happening, right? With with Russia-Ukraine, yeah. some tensions with China. And you know, I think Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger at their at the Berkshire Day, I think a week or two ago said both sides are being stupid, and I and I tend to agree. And, you know, you just look at this and you realize just how interconnected the economies are and what one what one false step could cause, you know, a massive global, you know, depression, you know, if, if things were to happen and go wrong. So, so you have all these things are happening, and, you know, and I haven't even talked about climate change yet. So, but you have all these different things that are out there, and it's going to be really relying on the millennials and Gen Z to kind of really help solve the problem. That's when I started writing the book, and I talked about how, you know, for for if the world, the world stage is changing, the economy is changing, the climate is changing. You have all these things. You know, technological advancements are changing the way we work. Leadership has to change too. And if leadership is unwilling to change, then I can guarantee you, those companies won't be around. Yeah, so that's where we are.
0: Yeah, it's and it's the fact. I guess this is all happening at once, right? Because we've seen we've seen various bits of change over over decades and years, but this feels like everything happening all at once
1: yeah i mean you know it is uh, and that's what's strange and um, we've so we've been through industrial revolutions before yeah and we're about we're on the early stages of the fourth industrial revolution so you know industry 4.0 is on its mm. way mm-hmm. you know and it's going to be more than just the ai things that we that i've mentioned here it's going to be more than iot and robotics it's going to be such amazing advancements in life sciences you know mm. longevity curing diseases you know and so you know there's going to be you know self-driving cars you know, whatever it might be right so th- there's going to be some amazing cool things that are coming out over the next you know that that at least my grandkids will uh, will get to appreciate and see you know just, just how we were in awe you know by things like the iphone who knows what they're going to be in awe with right so so yeah so the, all this stuff is happening and we're on the early stages of the fourth industrial revolution, and but I, I kind of look at this a little bit differently. I, I think what you're going to see here is for the first time, you're going to see kind of a melding of a of, of a fourth industrial revolution and a new age of enlightenment, right? And an age of enlightenment, right, is when you see massive change also in art and sciences yeah. and music and mm-hmm. all those things as well. And so so that's what I think is going to happen. I think you're going to have both of those things kind of happening at once.
0: So, Well, that's a great link because your book, Chase, greatness obviously talks about enlightened leadership and we just talked about the renaissance that may be going on right now right to sort of boost this huge amount of learning and vision and all these sorts of things so i'm really interested to hear your your definition your kind of the causal piece behind enlightened leadership and how that may differ from popular i guess leadership mantras of the past like servant leadership all those sorts of things what's What's the build? What's what's different? And and yet, really, what is different to this enlightened leadership versus other things we might be more familiar with?
1: Yeah, so that's, that's a great question. So, you know, servant leadership is probably the closest to enlightened leadership, right? Yeah. And servant leadership really kind of started in the 80s. You know, Jack Walsh was kind of like the pioneer of servant leadership, the former CEO GE. And servant leadership, you know, he got it from the church. You know, it's, it came, kind of came from the church. And so when you think about it it's a great leadership you know tool right you know what's wrong with you know you know hey i i work for you know as a ceo i work for you like andy you know i work for you yeah what what can i do to make your job easier what can i do to help you well what can i do to help um you achieve your goals what can i do to help you know, reduce your workload. What, what, what can I do to help take care of the help you take care of the customer, right? What can I do? What mm-hmm. tool do you need, mm-hmm. right? And then that's where you kind of get that leadership lesson. You know, give. You, know, you talked about rexham a little bit, and I think one of the things Robin Wright have done, which I believe is number one rule of leadership, which is you know give people the tools to do their job, right, and then get out of their way. And get out of their know? way,
0: absolutely, yeah.
1: Right, and so, and so I think so. That's ultimately what servant leadership says, right? Which is okay. Here you go. Now, enlightened leadership takes all of that and says, "Andy, not only am I here to help you be su- successful in the business, how can I help you be successful outside of the business?" Mm. And for the first time, leadership is reaching outside the walls of the business, and it has to mm. because of social media, because of remote work, because now because of the development of new technologies you know you now you now have access to employees all over the world and and you know these employees now you can see what they're doing how they're thinking how they're feeling you you can you can talk about you know whether mental wellness issues or whatever the case might be it's now more prevalent than ever because of social media you can see what's being posted and things of that nature and so so that's what essentially enlightened leadership is and enlightened leadership says look you know Yes, um, yes, we're going to still focus on profitability and maximizing our value, but one of the best ways to do that is to retain our employees. Yeah. You know, this is not just me, right? I think if you, if you talk to McKenzie or Goldman or any of these guys, they will tell you that the more you can retain your employees and reduce your attrition rates, the more you'll put towards your bottom line. Sure. And a lot of times CEOs don't realize that. A lot of times CEOs just look at, oh, well, that person's gone. I'm going to save some money. Well, they don't understand the impact that has on the rest of the business. There are other stuff that might fall or the brain drain that happens when someone leaves, Mm -hmm. right? Or if you lose a a top salesperson, you have to probably hire three people to replace that one person to make up for the loss of productivity or or whatever the case might be. And so, you know, a lot of people thought that, oh, when outsourcing happened in a big way, oh my God, all the jobs are going to be going away. Well, the jobs, certain jobs went away, but new jobs were created. And that's what's going to be happening now. And, And you know, so I'm I'm not super concerned about that. You know, what what I am I am what I am concerned about are CEOs who are not recognizing that. And and you know, and like like I mentioned earlier, this new demographic that's coming up they're much more they're much more aware of things like climate change and social justice. And I call it the Jedi, right? So there's justice, environment, diversity, and inclusion. Right. So you know, they, they they are much more in tune with those kinds of things. And so, for example, at 11:05. A couple of years ago, you know, we gave everybody we we, we made voting day here you know, the election day, November seventh or eighth, depending on the day of the calendar, an official company holiday. You know, we gave everybody the day off to go vote. Cool. You know, and the, the 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 cynics have said, "Well, what if people vote by mail? It's like you're giving their a free day off, whatever." And I'm like, "Well, that's fine. I don't care if they vote by mail. You know, I'm going to do my part." I'm going to take away that stress. I want them to feel like they can get involved and they can try to make a difference if they don't, if they're not happy with the abortion ruling, if they're not happy with certain things, then go think, think make a thing and go vote. Or you, if you are happy with things, go vote, you know? And so, you know, I figured, you know, it's my responsibility to do that. And if they voted by mail, then right, I, tell, I I encourage them to go get involved in their community. I, I tell them to go be poll workers. And if they don't want to do that, I tell them to just, then just take a mental wellness day and go hang out with your kids or your family or your friends and, go see a movie but just take that day to go do whatever then you want to do with yourself so you know and they, and they love it it's great
0: well you, you live in your values there right these are these are connected to 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 the values that you espouse right and and i think it that real life manifestation and see through that stuff that's what that's important that's what makes the connection with people that's when they become more than words on a wall you know that's when these things really start to take take root i mean that's mm-hmm. a great example of how you bring this stuff to life I mean, when I listen to you talk about enlightened leadership, it feels like a you I think you use the word sort of meld. You know, it, it feels like a meld of servant leadership, transformational leadership, the authentic leadership boost about just, you know, just being your true self and, and remaining to that. And and even has those bits of of I guess coming from the agile leadership world where there's little bits of, you know, responding to the market. And if ever we had to respond to a market right now is the time. Right with all these changes that you've talked about, what else do you see going on out there with with CEOs who are really on top of this regime? What, what, how are they practically bringing this kind of enlightened leadership to life?
1: Yeah, you know, so I'm a member of uh, YPO, which is the Young Presidents Organization. Uh-huh. I'm sure you've heard of it, and some of your yep. listeners may have heard of it as well. And so. I speak to like CEOs, and I was just with a whole bunch of them yesterday. You know, yesterday evening, about thirty or forty of them. I was talking to a few of them, you know, and they they all recognize that the world around them is changing. I think the biggest challenge is, is that the really, some of them are really trying to fight it, mm. right? Why do and, you think? That, why do you think that is? Why are they fighting? Um, you know, I'll give you an example. So, so the, the you know the, the return to office, mm. right? Great you know, example, yeah. You know, so Elon Musk came out and said, I think, what did he say? Like, you you, you have to find the quote, I guess, maybe in the edit, which is he came along wrong something and said that working from home is the work of the devil or something like that. <laughs> yeah. he, said, he said something like, that. it was yesterday or day before or whatever, and I'm like, all right, whatever. You know, so, you know, a lot of times I've now discovered Elon Musk is just going to say things to get eyeballs on Twitter because <laughs> he because he spent $44 billion on Twitter when the next closest bid was zero. and so. You know, but I think what's happening is CEOs feel like they lose control when there's massive work from home, right? Uh, you know, are, are the people doing their work? Are they doing side hustles? Am I what am I, what am I paying for? Yeah, you know what's the, you know so that to me is 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 an issue of not measuring the right things. That to me is the sign of a poor culture because you know if you have a great management team and you have the right structures in place you know, the beauty of working for home for employees is massive. You know, mm. look, I'm not in a very sexy space. It's not like, you know, you know, I'm not, I mean, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a, we're, we're like an old 20 year old cobbled together, private equity business. Right. And so, you know, Andy, I'll tell you, I mean, we're just, it's not a sexy, you know, whatever, <laughs> right. What's <laughs> 1105 media. Right. It's like, okay, but we do a great job of what we do. Right. And, you know, and my employees know that, they, they know that my number one customer is them. And do I care if the job gets done at 10 a.m. or 10 p.m.? No, nah, not really. I mean, mm-hmm. as long as the job gets done, right? Mm-hmm. And what's happened, I think, is, and I think I know, is that the feedback I get from from my employees, like from the women on my team, is that, you know what? I don't have to spend an hour and a half every morning getting up, putting on makeup, doing all these things, rushing the kids, rushing myself, feeling... Feeling lost and just, just you know, it's so stressed in the morning. Spending an hour in traffic driving, whatever the case might be, and so I'm giving back some of their life and some of their time, right? And mm-hmm. they love that. And mm-hmm. our attrition rates are through the floor ever since we we you know are, have done this. And this is the middle of the Great Resignation, and so you know our attrition rates right now are less than two percent. And so that's great. Wow. That's that's it's that, 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 pretty amazing. And so so I all my hat and my hats off to my team and my and, you know for for all their hard work in that space, but. You know, I just, I just think you know, you know, as as we talk about how sometimes employees get worried about change, so do CEOs. You know, and ch- change is not easy, and I think some of them are trying to fight it, and they should find ways to embrace it. Yeah, there might be certain tasks and, and duties that you got to have people face to face. Look, uh, my my finance team likes to likes to come into an office. Okay, go yeah. to an office. Yeah, but they have the flexibility work working from well home if they want to. I mean, I, I don't make them come into the office. Sure, and so. You know, it's, um you know, I think I think I was with um, somebody over the weekend, uh, over this past weekend up in Silicon Valley over at NVIDIA, and NVIDIA like, yeah, do whatever you want to do, right? You know, Disney came out and said, no, three to four days a week in the office. And so, every, every company is a little bit different, and from a Disney standpoint, I could probably see why it's important, right? Because you get so many moving parts, and yeah, the theme park team has to talk to the movie guys, and movie guys have to talk to whatever, right? And so... Well I mean, I, can, I can definitely see why some of that stuff matters to certain people but I think the more flexible you are the better you're going to be in this world.
0: I think the flexibility is clearly um something and you talk about the generational shift it's, it, and maybe even the gender shift that you've got in the US. I mean I think we are I think we're probably closer to 53% female mix. So we we've almost got the opposite to what to what you guys have have got in terms of the 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 numbers. But I think some of the problems with the the back to work thing is that it's been described as a bit of a hot mess over here because we've got so many different variants of it. And I think employers are just looking for some some clarity. And I think where some businesses are struggling, they haven't got some of the fundamentals that you talked about solidly in place. So the collaboration that is expected when people come back together doesn't happen because not everybody's on the same sort of page you know you, some people are coming back into the office to do the admin they could be doing from home as opposed to doing the, the the working collaboration stuff so i think we're still certainly in the uk in a lot of cases still trying to find our way i'm just interested in in that in that statement that you made about some ceos still kind of fighting against some of the the flow of this of, of the changes that we're going to need to make
1: yeah, I mean like it's it's inevitable, right? I mean, it's just you know you you can't stop demographic change, you know, people get old and you know, people retire and boomers are retiring in droves and Gen Xers are getting older now. I mean, I'm a Gen Xer, I'm fifty-five, and you know, in the next, you know, ten to twelve years, you know, people my age and and the kind of that Gen X generation is gonna start also starting to retire and you know, millennials and Gen Z and Gen Alpha are going to be the majority of the workforce, and the, they they've grown up and in the in a very connected world. And you know, the the what what our parents used to say about us, we're now saying about this younger generation, right? You know, they said we are the most connected. Well, we're not. It's actually <laughs> going to millennials were the most connected. They're not. You know, it's going to be every every demographic change gets more technologically advanced, mm. and so you know you know, 30 years from now, I can only imagine what, you know, my, my, my sons are going to be saying to their, to their kids about, boy, when I was your age, all I had was an iPhone 15, you know <laughs> what I mean? And, you, know, so, you know what I mean? So it's going to be, it'll be interesting to see what, you know, what happens. And, you know, and I, I for one just believe that this is a natural evolution of, of, you know, of humanity and of of the workforce and, you know, you you have to, you know, you, you know, you have to um, embrace this change. Yeah, you just have to.
0: And this meld of culture and tech is one of the key principles behind this this set of change, right? Not leaving the culture stuff behind. That perhaps, I mean, I, I'm maybe biased because I work in that space and I get a bit frustrated with the whole. We'll we'll get to the culture stuff when we've sorted out all the performance. And that's just madness to me because it's the culture stuff that will sort the performance. But I think that any more than the now, this 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 need to blend a real focus on tech and enabling tech, whether it's AI or whatever it is, and getting the workforce up with that, but also really doubling down on the culture stuff, really, you know, getting that stuff sorted.
1: Yeah, no. I mean, look, you know, Deloitte came out a few years ago and they surveyed CEOs. Around the world. Mm -hmm. And the survey said essentially, it asked them, How important is culture to your organization? 90% of CEOs said, Very important. And then the follow up question was, How many of you are actually going to do anything about it, essentially? (laughs) And only 10% said they were going to do anything about it. Yeah.
0: Some of those were lying.
1: And, And I think the mistake CEOs make is I think when they hear the word culture in an organization, I think they hear expense
0: and loss of control uh, and some uh, big stuff as well, right?
1: Well, I, I, I think they hear about oh, I got to give bonuses, I got to do yeah. trips, I got to do birthday celebrations, I got to, you know, uh, you know, whatever it might be, right? And so, I think they hear expense, and I'm like, and I and I kind of scratch my head, and I'm like. Don't you understand that the, the bigger expenses are going to be if your attrition rates are high, replacing those employees, bringing on new people, spending the money to train them up? I mean, it costs thousands of dollars 100%. to train a new employee. Yeah, right? yeah. And yeah. so that dwarfs you a know, $500 bonus or running recognition events and whatever the case might be. So here at 1105, you know, we, do, we do monthly town halls in our different business unit divisions. We do quarterly recognition events where we talk about the top performers through each group, you know, and so we, we try to over communicate when we can. And so are we perfect? No, but we try. We definitely try.
0: Well, I think it's, I think it's incredibly important as is, I think, because I think that is where one of the major foundations of, of any successful business comes between leadership and the employees is that trust factor. Right. and, for you, in your whole enlightened leadership piece, what's the influence of trust on 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 that? Is there is there really still strong link on that sort of stuff? Are you are you are you as a stronger believer in that in that trust factor as I am? And how how would you talk about that?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, so when you read the book and you talk about enlightened leadership, there are five pillars of enlightened leadership. Right. The first one is gratitude. Practicing gratitude every day. Now, the reason why that's you know this is interesting. You know Satya Nadella, the the now not new CEO of Microsoft, the guy that took over Steve Ballmer mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when he got the job. One of the bases he got the job was a major push and focus on gratitude. Okay, and he he talks about it quite a bit, and he he turned Microsoft around by focusing on gratitude, and he's turned Microsoft now into from being like the evil company. To opening up, to partnering people, and now Google is kind of the evil company, right? And, so, <laughs> and and so it's interesting how Microsoft made that change. And so gratitude is, is the first pillar. Having resilience, right? I think COVID mm-hmm. and the shutdowns, mm-hmm. and you know, and, and how do you how can you you become mentally resilient, physically resilient? How how you become resilient in your organization is number two, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. How you measure what matters. You know the whole fall down seven, get up eight type thing, right? And the third, the third one is empathy. Now, you know, it's interesting. Empathy is so important because, you know, when, when you have, you know, situations out there where when we grew up, like one of the, one of the pillars of servant leadership is if you want to go talk to your boss, you have to have three solutions to go talk to your boss, right. Or or don't waste their time. Enlightened leadership says, look, yes, that would be nice. But you're the CEO for a reason, or you're leading your team for a reason. Maybe your employee is stuck. Maybe your employee just needs to talk. Maybe your employee just needs to bounce some ideas off of. Maybe your employee is really is, is really grappling with a problem, but they're afraid to come and talk to you because they don't have three solutions. Maybe they mm. only have one or two solutions. Mm. And, and it's trying to break that down to say, look, come and speak to me no matter what the case might be, and I'll listen. Let, let's see what we can do to help you together, mm. Right. Yeah. The fourth is accountability, right? So you still have to be accountable. You still got to do what you said you're going to do, right? Now That's still important. And the fifth is transparency. And some, some people say, well, why isn't it trust? And I said, and when you're running an organization, what you have to do is first be transparent with where you want to go, what you want to do before you can build that trust. So like, for example, during COVID, right, we had to do layoffs, pay cuts, and all those different types of things in the business. But I knew in order for them to trust me with the, with where we needed to go, I first needed to be very transparent with them in the organization to tell them what was happening, what we were doing and why we were doing it. So to me, whereas trust is so important in that organization, transparency needs to come first before trust. I get and that. So that yeah. And so, so those are those five pillars, gratitude, mm-hmm. resilience, empathy, accountability, and transparency. And if you take the first letter from those five words, it spells great, hence the title of the book, Chase Greatness.
0: love that. I I do love a mnemonic. I can't get away from the fact I do love one of those because my brain isn't clever enough to remember a thing individually. I think that transparency thing is interesting, though, because the link to clarity of vision and then seeing through on that promise, I mean, that to me is the sort of meld, again, to overuse that word between transparency, this is where we're going, this is how tough it's going to be, this is what I'm going to need, but by the way, this is what we're doing. And then you go and deliver those things. That's when trust really starts to come come through. I, I mean, that's right. in, incredibly strong. I want to just touch on something you mentioned earlier. And and it gets talked about a lot today about, I, some people call it whole person growth or seeing the whole person at work. And you talked about you know outside the walls, Looking after your, your your people, I think this gets quite confused at times, and maybe a bit overplayed or misunderstood. When you're talking about enlightened leadership, kind of going beyond the realm of work and supporting personal development outside of work, how far does that go for you? What what are the are there boundaries to that, or is it just whatever's needed is is what you give? Because I think this is where people kind of get a bit misconstrued with it all.
1: Yeah, so it's interesting, you know. So we've actually been practicing this now for the last couple of years, right? Okay. For obvious reasons. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you. I think I can count on the, um, on one hand the number of times employees have reached out for some help outside the walls of the business. Mm-hmm. It's. I think it, it. They know it's there. They know it's possible. Um, but it's also it's, it's it takes two to party. It takes two to tango, so to speak. Right. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And so it, there was some concern initially that that's what would happen, that people are going to start reaching out for all kinds of things. But I think what you see here at the end of the day is that just human nature is that people want to try to solve the issues themselves and deal with whatever they're dealing with themselves and try to compartmentalize things. Right. And, and so, but they do know that there's somewhat of a safety net here to help catch them in case they need some help, in case they feel like they need some more support outside the walls of the business. And, you know, it's up to them to use it. You know, it's just like any sort of benefit a company has to offer. If you look at benefit plans companies have, you know, a lot of benefits don't get used. So to me, it's like, it's, it's a great umbrella to say, Hey guys, it's here. It's happy to help you and whatever you need. And, you know, just let us know, you know, it's, you know, so it's not like, and we're, we're not, you know I or the management team we're not like calling people at nine o'clock at night saying, "Hey, would you have for dinner right no it's it's all about hey if if you need some help, if you need anything, you know' well, let us know I think when when I look at this stuff
0: and when I talk to people about it, I think you know really really focusing in on a few meaningful things right rather than a whole bunch of gimmicks. Whether it's, you know, take as much time off as you like or do this, the other, or what I think focusing on where and listening to where real support could be needed, whether that's mental stuff or financial advice or whatever it might be, you know, really kind of doubling down on those things is where this stuff can really, really have benefit. And I think when you try and yeah. load it with gimmicks, it didn't work.
1: Right. Absolutely. 100% correct. And I think employees see, see through the gimmicks. So I'll give you small examples of something that just happened the other day. So there's a, me- there's a member of my team and he and his daughter were so stressed out because they needed to go fly and they just needed to go and, you know, visit college campuses, universities, you know, cause she has to make a decision. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, dude, don't worry about it. Take your laptop with you. You can work from wherever you are. Yeah. It's fine. You know, if you're working from these places, feel free to expense your meals and your hotel and all that stuff because you're going to be working. And, and, and that's fine. And I, you know, that, what that one small act, reduce his stress load by 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 a factor of 10 and allowed him to spend meaningful time with his daughter to go out there and find the right college university college university that she wanted to go to, right? And that that matters. I think, you know, if this was three years ago or four years ago, it would be like, okay, well so, so mis- submit your PTO and, you know, go and you know, go, go have a good trip and we'll talk to you when you get back. Right. But now he feels like he could go. He can get his work done, support his daughter. Doesn't have to come back to five hundred emails and things backed up. And you know he can, you know, and he feels supported. And those are the things that build loyalty in an organization.
0: That's a great example. If someone feels seen, they feel that they're going to be engaged. They're going to be more productive. They're going to be more loyal. Everybody, everybody kind of wins out of it. Everybody's in a, in a happier space, right? I think. Yep. I think that's a great piece, Rajiv. We are vastly running out of time. Um, and I know I can't keep you much longer, but. I have this thing on the show called Sticky Notes, my friend, where we're trying to summarize all the massive amounts of sagely learning that you could have imparted on us today on what we could fit on three sticky notes. So, if we're thinking about helping people really get their head around enlightened leadership, what three pieces of advice would you leave on your three sticky notes, my friend?
1: So, I think the first one is treat your employees as your number one internal customer. And, you know, or it's your number one customer, rather, your internal customer is your number one customer, right? So that's, so that's number one. Yeah. You know, I think that the second one is, you know, never be the smartest person in the room. And that's one really important d- distinction in, in enlightened leadership, right? And you, you've heard that before, but I think that's really important because when you're the smartest person in the room, people defer to you and you never hear really good ideas. And even if you are the smartest person in the room, pretend you're not. Right. And then I think the third one, which, which gets lost is, is the one that we kind of started this whole enlightened leadership discussion around, which is, man, find a way to practice gratitude every day. Like today's Friday and my team every Friday, my, my leadership team sends me little snippets that we then put into a little Little newsletter that goes out called Twiggin, This Week in Good News. And we end the week always on gratitude and some good news. And there might be other challenges or problems, but I want them to be feel like they're mentally fresh going to the weekend so they can spend time with their family and friends, whatever the case might be. And I tell them that whatever problem they're dealing with at two o'clock in the afternoon on Friday is not going to get solved over the weekend. So go, go home and you know, or or I go home. You're already probably at home, but you know what I mean, right? I and gotcha. then uh, just it, it, it'll still be there at eight o'clock in the morning or nine o'clock in the morning on Monday. So, no no need to stress on it. So so we talk about these things, and I think those are three three really important things that I think uh, people are um, need to embrace. And if I could add a fourth one, which is which is embrace this change that that's coming. You know, start to learn some of these tools, start to learn what's happening in the world with all this AI stuff, and don't be afraid of it. Learn it.
0: I love that. We will definitely add a fourth sticky note to your pile on the Instagram channel, my friend. I appreciate that Macy. And actually a genuinely massive gratitude for you coming on the podcast today. I've Loved listening to what you've got to say. I think this is exactly where we're headed and what we needed. Uh, so thank you ever so much for coming on. Rajiv. great stuff.
1: Oh, it's my, it's my absolute pleasure. It was an honor to be here and thank you all for listening. Okay,
0: everyone. That was Rajiv Kapoor. And if you'd like to find out a little bit more about him or any of the things that we've talked about today, please check out the show notes. So that concludes today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it, found it interesting, and heard something maybe that will help you become a stickier, more successful business from the inside going forward. If you have, please like, comment, and subscribe. It really helps. I'm Andy Gorham, and you've been listening to the Sticky from the Inside podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening.